Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're going to be offering, lots of language programs, lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first-time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really want to share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is an ambassador, entrepreneur, and thought leader in the digital nomad space. He is the founder of a number of ventures and communities, and he is a public speaker and a mentor and has traveled to more than 100 countries, met thousands of amazing friends, and inspired many more to say, yes, go explore. Please welcome to the show, Nomad Dean Kuchel. Dean, how are you, sir? Hola, hola. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, great to finally meet you. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's kind of funny. We were chatting before the interview, and Dean is in Panama right now, and I'm still in Brazil. So we're actually missing each other at the moment because normally I'm always in Panama. But Dean, why don't we start by kind of talking a little bit about your backstory? How did you become a digital nomad? How did you get such a love for travel? How did you end up actually working in this field for a living? It really goes back to my my childhood. I was born to a mother who is a a tour guide leader. So she used to travel uh, all the time, took me on her trips. And this is, I think, where the uh, love to travel kind of been installed in my DNA. So the love to the world, culture, meeting people, experiencing all this, uh, the beauty that the world has to offer uh, is really thanks to my mom, uh, if I need to blame someone or thank someone. So this is how I came to, to love to travel. And uh, growing up uh, as a millennial, I'm a 1982 born, uh, just recently uh, celebrated my 39. I grew up with the idea that if I want to live abroad or travel the world, I either need to save a lot of money and go travel or to relocate. Uh, coming from Israel, the most lucrative uh, thing you, you can have in the job, the benefit is having like three, four years 
relocation to any country, right? So I, and this is what I did. Uh, I actually got a relocation to San Francisco uh, with a tech job. I'm doing some consulting around uh, project management, account management for tech companies. So I relocated to San Francisco, super happy about the opportunity. And then, bam, there is a problem with the visa because, you know, it's so difficult to get the, the papers, to, to get the, um, the legal visa and status to work there. So the company told me, all right, let's go work remote until the, the visa is sorted. And I went to work remote. I traveled to Taiwan and Japan and a bunch of Euro countries in Europe. And by the time they told me like, hey, visa is ready, come back to the office. I was like hooked on the lifestyle. Uh, this is where I first discovered that it's even possible to work remote. I learned what the digital nomad is. And ever since I'm talking about uh, end of 2014, Uh, I've been working remote doing the digital nomad uh, lifestyle in a, in a very extreme manner, uh, 50, 60 flights a year, 30 countries a year, uh, with a mission, which I have no clue why I set this mission to myself, so don't ask me, to visit all 196 countries of the world. So to sum it up, it's like, it just happened to me. I didn't know. I wasn't out to become a digital nomad, but life just took me there. Well, I can understand that goal completely. I set that goal for myself when I was a teenager. So we're talking maybe the year 2000 or something like that. And when I started telling people that I'm going to travel to every country in the world, they were laughing their butt off. They're like, that's impossible. No one can do that. I mean, why would you even want to do that? Now, I think I've traveled to about 506 countries, something like that. We're right around the same amount. And yeah, I'm sure nobody's laughing now when it's like we're the better part of the way there. And still lots of places to explore, still lots of amazing things to do, but people take you a little bit differently after putting in so much time and effort into it. So with your mother, I want to go back a step, with your mother and the inspiration for the travel, did she do a lot of international travel or was the travel and the, the tour guide and that type of things just domestic in Israel? No, it, it was solely in uh, Europe, mostly in Europe, like okay. Europe and some stints in the States or, or Asia. So yeah, it, it, and also... She had such a, a large network of friends from around the world, but that was before the time of, of Facebook and social media. So in order to meet or to connect, they actually had to meet, right? So often they will come stay in our place. Uh, that's also pre-Airbnb. So I always had some strangers and foreigners living in my house, speaking languages they don't understand, uh, bringing chocolates I never tasted before. So <laughs> it was like, okay, I... I, I Part of what, what I do traveling the world is I try ice cream in every country I go to. <laughs> I never miss that. <laughs> well, because I, I, I ask this because I'm, I'm genuinely curious now, how does your mother feel about your travel now? Because from my side, with my dad, I got a lot of my travel because of my dad's love for it because he backpacked when he was a kid. Well, I left 21 years ago, so I'm not sure my father's all that happy that he introduced me to it because I've been gone and he probably misses this kid so much now. But at the same time, I'm sure he's very proud. How does your mother feel about the influence she's had on you from digital nomadism? Should have probably invited her to this show. But, uh, <laughs> she, she misses me dearly. It's, it's definitely not easy. Uh, I have two sisters, but I'm an only boy, only son. It's not easy. And at the beginning, I don't think she even understood what I'm doing with my life. Are you homeless or jobless? Or what, what's the digital nomad exactly? Um, now she takes a lot of pride of what I, I do. And I've built a, a very large network. I, I've built my name in, in Israel around the Slack style. But yeah, you know, she, she's a Jewish mom and she's my mom and she will forever miss me. But she's very happy for, for, <laughs> for what I'm doing. Take a lot of pride of it. 
and I'm going to visit her very soon <laughs> after two years Amazing. of not being in Israel. The longest. And does she ever come out on trips with you? Yes, yes. It's the best to travel with my mom. It's amazing. She's so knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, she's the best to travel with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That one I can also agree with. My mother has been traveling with us as a family for four years now. But even before that, my mother was coming two, three times a year. I've taken my mom to Uganda, to Kenya, to Switzerland, to Italy, to uh, Singapore. My wife took my mom to Japan uh, I wasn't even there. We've taken her to China. We've taken my mom all over the world as well. So to, being able to, ex, to share something like that with family is unbelievable. How about your sisters? Do they also travel a lot or not so much? Not, not as much anymore. We all, uh, we all lived uh, abroad at some point or traveled, but uh, my sister has beautiful uh, boys, uh, my nephews, which I miss dearly. So they're currently mm -hmm. in Israel, but uh, from time to time. Yeah. I think we all love the, we, we share the love to to the world and to see and explore. It's just took a different Amazing. turn with age. Yeah. Amazing. So I want to get into the digital nomadism. I guess let's start off by how has things been over the last 15 months or so since COVID? Have you been able to continue to travel? Have you plopped yourself in one spot and waited it out? What's been your perspective on digital nomadism during this time? Personally, I was very lucky. I made a choice last March, like a year ago, to park myself in Bali, Indonesia. And it's been so rewarding. It's really been the best decision probably of, of my, my life, I would say. Uh, this past year and a half, no quarantine, no lockdowns. Life as normal as it gets, you know, coffee shops, co-working spaces, bars, restaurants, normal life. It's been really nice, really rewarding. And to have an island like Bali to yourself with a small and intimate uh, community of digital nomads has been uh, incredible for my self-development, um, relationship-wise, making um, uh, building my network uh, and building my net worth as well during this time. It's been the best year of my life. Uh, and and I'm, I, I was, I'm ashamed in a way to say it. I know so many people went through probably the worst time of their life so all, all over the world. I'm trying to understand yeah, but how pretending it, pretending that your life is bad or or you being upset is not going to help anybody else actually the best thing you can do is go out there and live your life to the fullest and do everything you can to inspire other people to go out there and travel and make positive choices in their life don't ever feel like because other people are on hard times you shouldn't be happy i mean that's that's not gonna do anyone any good yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with it. And also, uh, I believe that those who've been a digital nomad just before COVID been a little bit more resilient uh, and protected from the damages that COVID did, right? We already have the remote job. We already know how to deal with the, the loneliness of working away from the office, um, being by yourself, being outside of your comfort zone. Definitely helped me to, to go uh, through this time and my community, you know, we, we discussed this a lot. And also to make these choices. I built this platform of freedom that allowed me to choose where to be because a lot of people had to go home. But I have dual uh, citizenship. I have residency in Panama, and hence why I'm, I'm here now. So it allowed me a variety of places where I could choose and be. So yeah, sometimes you cannot plan for it, but it's part of the digital nomad, this freedom and ability to do a little bit. It's like it's life hacking. This is what it is mm -hmm. for me. 
Yeah, being purposeful about all of these things and making conscious choices of where you want to spend your time, how you want to build your business, where you want to travel, the people you want to associate with. There's so much time in our lives that really things are built up because of external forces or family responsibilities or social pressure or things like that. But I think that digital nomadism is really taking a lot of responsibility for yourself and for your own happiness and really going out there. So I commend you on that. I think it is really fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's uh, having the options and the, the right to choose for yourself. Now, in terms of um, the digital nomadism community, digital community and lifestyle, I think COVID did a pretty good service. Digital nomad on, on steroids, like if uh, we thought it will take another 10, 15 years for uh, traditional companies to adopt remote work, we saw this happens in the course of 60 days. In this sense, it's an, an amazing experiment. And we're able to also see the dark side of, of uh, being a digital nomad and working remote. It's not always uh, right and it's not best for, for everyone. Uh, but it did good service. My community uh, doubled in size from 10K to 20K over a course of a few months. You see a different people joining the movement. It's no longer 25 years old, single, working in tech. But you see now the families, uh, teachers, lawyers, accountants um, uh, having access to, to remote opportunities. And I think that that's a good service. And I really hope that people took this crazy year and a half to make a shift in their life, to sit at home, because that's what we had to do. Hopefully you, you were able to retain your job and save a little bit more money by not going out um, and make these career changes or life changes that you wanted. Like you, you, made, you made changes, right? Oh, I agree with that completely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also very interesting what you said about the change in the type of people who are into this. So MySpace is just slightly different than the digital nomad because I don't really work with a lot of the 20-something-year-olds. The I mean, I do a bit, but I have a lot of the families and that's become even more so during the last year. I can see because I also run a Facebook group. If you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com, it'll redirect you there. And there's so many people who are coming in, two kids, three kids, four kids, uh, husband, wife, and they want to live overseas and be expats and do this for a living. So I've seen a massive shift as well, or maybe, maybe not a shift is the right word, maybe more of a reinforcement in these types of people and, and seeing more of them kind of gravitate to this. Yeah, and I think that what we're seeing is so many jobs that have gone remote where people never thought it was possible for this job to go remote. And now it's just like opens up so much opportunities. And people who were like, oh, I want to live overseas, I want to travel, but I've got this anchor, my job, which is holding me back. Now with this like digital nomad on steroids, as you described it, and I completely agree with you, 10, 15 years just condensed into several months of people going remote and pushing the technology forward has done so much for our type of lifestyle. It's just unbelievable. Just like you, I talk to, to a lot of families who want to break through the nine to five and, and set free from a specific address. Um, and what, what I hear is typically limiting beliefs. They will say, oh, I cannot because A, B, C. And come COVID and show them, oh, yes, you can. Uh, you just, you didn't want to take action. And, and this is, in my opinion, the real problem. People are afraid of taking action. It's like, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
you you said you want to travel the 296 hours of the world people laugh at you because people think it's impossible but it's possible you just need to take action and we have all these limiting beliefs and we are afraid of it's very dangerous to live in Panama or in Peru or in Brazil because that's what you hear on the news but if you shut down the news if you turn it off and you instead go on the right community on Facebook you will find like-minded people who did this leap of faith who take this extra step and found out like oh you know what it's not even hard and it's so rewarding for me digital nomad lifestyle changed my life if I was before that I was working in tech I was making great money but I was spending it all on status symbols on expensive rent in Tel Aviv and San Francisco and London I said nothing at the end of the month and then I started to travel the world work remote earn more money set up the right residences save even more money and by the end of this year I'll be financially independent so I can't even explain how rewarding because people say oh travel is expensive yeah I think that travel can be expensive but I mean when I started traveling I had a backpack and I hitchhiked I hitchhiked through Central America in 2003 for 18 months I mean I was spending 10 bucks a day like what What, where, where does ten dollars get you if you're living in San Francisco or you know I'm from just outside of Toronto where I grew up I mean ten bucks is gonna get you nothing like nothing 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 I mean if you're willing to you know be purposeful make sacrifices make decisions based on following your dreams and what you really want actually money doesn't necessarily have to be a limiting factor I mean there's a lot of things you can do And I see all the time people who are like, oh, I don't know how to make money online. I don't know how to make money online. My tip is go to Upwork, create an account, and then whatever you do for a living, offer the exact same service on Upwork and charge 10 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour. Yeah, I mean, your cost of living is going to be so much less overseas that even if you take a 50% pay cut of what you normally make in your home city, Like you said, Dean, there's, there's no keeping up with the Joneses. You don't need to have a new vehicle. You don't have to have a brand new TV and, you know, a new hand. The women don't have to have a handbag and men, a nice new watch. I mean, I wouldn't want to be walking around with a brand new, you know, $20,000 watch in a lot of the places that I go to. That's going to be a, a hindrance, not a, not a benefit by any means. You said it right. And I want to emphasize on this point. Uh, all these people want to find their online job. Don't try to reinvent yourself. It's like, okay, I'll become a, an e-com shop manager or I'll learn a new skill. No, you don't. Uh, you don't need to do it. You don't need to reinvent yourself. Just reverse engineer what you do. You don't know how to be a teacher, online, online teacher. Look for the same profession, like to hire the same service. You're a plumber, mm -hmm. hire an online plumber. You will find that someone... Is doing it over WhatsApp or Skype video helping you to fix your, uh, your pipes at home. See what others do. You don't need to copy, but put the, your own personal twist on it and start your online business. And you say, start, start low and slow. But, uh, yeah. Take, take well, the first I think step. that people get this idea in their head, and, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. But they think like to be an online entrepreneur, they need to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Larry Page or something like that. You guys don't need to do this. If you've already been to college, you already have a career, you've already you know, been making money in a field, chances are you can actually put that online, whether that be coaching or consulting or remote work, like you actually do it for them. I have tons of people now who are doctors who have just taken their existing client list and are now doing remote consultations with their clients 
while they're overseas. Same with lawyers, same with accountants, same with most professions that are out there. I think there's very little that you actually still need to go into the office to do. Like, and you even said plumbers, like that's not something that would normally stick in someone's mind of something that you could do online. But now that you said that my gears are already turning, like you could do videos, you could teach people how to do it. You could, you know, have a, a retainer service or a membership site. So someone who needs expert ex opinion, you know, for higher level stuff. I mean, there's so many things you could probably do with something like that, that wouldn't be first apparent. You know what I mean? Go on YouTube. Uh, Google any profession and you'll find uh, lock picking, uh, lock pickers, you'll find doctors that put some information in, in informative videos. They make so much more money on off YouTube than in their day-to-day -day job. Some of them make millions. I just read about this doctor that was just putting up his day-to-day -day life uh, as a doctor and he's made $1.3 million last year off, <laughs> off YouTube, right? So it's incredible. So many. I was watching one the other day that was, um, I've been thinking about starting a paid membership site. I haven't decided whether I'm going to do it or not. Actually, this is a great place to shout it. If you guys would like to see some type of paid membership site for, for expat resources, we're talking about residencies and tax strategies and asset protection and all these things, go to expatmoneyforum.com. Let's start a thread in there and we'll make it like a poll or something. Does this sound like a good idea? Is this something you would pay for, not pay for? I don't know. Anyways, put your comments in there. I was doing research on membership sites and I found a guy who was doing seven figures. Dean, this was his niche, teaching people how to jump higher. It was a membership site. That's it. That He works with people to vertically jump higher. The first time I heard it, I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, how can that possibly be? But then once again, the gears in my head started turning and I'm like, oh, but he could work with professional athletes. He could work with college students who want to be basketball players and want to go further or volleyball or, and for $50 a month, they have an online program where they're teaching them how to work through your jump and get a higher vertical and land and support your knees. And I mean, it does make sense, but you just have to kind of shift your mindset on what you expect an online business to look like. This is the most inspiring uh, type of stories for me. And that's why I love podcasting on Expert Money Show, other podcasts that I listen to. And all of them are the everyday Joe or Jane, right? I don't want to hear about Elon Musk and how he made billions selling PayPal and now doing SpaceX. Amazing guy. I mean, at half, yeah. you know, but, um, but I want to hear like the stories you have every, every week on your show. It's just people like me had an office job, made, decided to make a change, made a change, bim, living, the, living their best life now. And I, that's the stories I listen to. Even if I already reached the point where I wanted to be, it keeps me on track and it inspires me to continue and do what I love. So, so that's, this is the kind of story, you know, just jump higher. And you don't need to develop the next Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok, right? You need to have a membership, membership site. Like you have 200, 300 people paying you $10, $20 a month, that's between four to $10 to $6,000 a month. Passive income, of course, you need to work uh, and get content. And I myself, this is how I monetize my community nowadays. I created uh, on top of my online community, uh, kind of a membership site where you get discounts, you have access to me, you get access to uh, information that I don't feel comfortable sharing uh, on the internet to anyone. And people pay for it and they appreciate it and they get value. And generally, I'm very, very pro 
paying for knowledge and information. I tried myself to hack residency, citizenship, taxation, health insurance, tons of stuff that I tried to, okay, I'll, I'll just Google it, you know, I'll search and listen to podcasts and all the information is out there. It's not really, or it's scattered around and it's so difficult to put it together to fit your needs because I am an Israeli with a second citizenship that works in a specific uh, field, right? I had to, at some point, I had more lawyers and accountants than friends, but... <laughs> It's true. Very true. In a year and a half, I, mean, I tried to do something for free to learn it, to save maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars on consultation. And over a single phone call with a lawyer, he answered all my questions. It, I, I lost so much time and money trying to get the answers for free. So when you buy services and advice, you're just buying a shortcut. You, you're cheating the system. You're buying knowledge. And it's, I, I cannot say any more to, to, to this. You know, just do it. I agree with you 100%. I mean, 10 years ago when I started as an entrepreneur, I mean, I would try to get everything for free. I'd be looking online, blogs and things like that. I mean, we had YouTube for sure, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. And I mean, I would have a problem or a sticking point in my business and I'd spend two months trying to figure something out. And then when I started working with coaches and consultants, that two months turned into two minutes. It's like you ask a question, you get the answer, you put it in, and now you don't have the question anymore. You don't have the problem anymore and you move forward. I think that a lot of people, they have an adversity to spending money because they think, oh, well, I can get the information online for free. I mean, that doesn't mean that you should. It doesn't mean that it's a good use of your time. I think that people should always be focusing on the thing which is gonna bring them to a revenue event. And then let's try to get rid of everything else in the background as fast as possible. Work through those problems. And then concentrate on those things that you do really, really well. And that's your business. Yeah, trying to do everything yourself. I mean, that's a surefire way to stay small. Yes. People who ask for my advice, and if I help for free on, on social media, on my Facebook community, they'll ask for a question. They'll get the answers. They won't do anything. They won't take action. Correct. And if they pay me or if they pay anyone else, it's that 10 times more likely to really take action and uh, succeed in what, what they choose to do. That, that I yeah, think absolutely. You pay, you pay attention for sure. It's so true. So you, I would actually take it a step further by giving out free advice. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not talking about putting out a podcast or a YouTube vi video, which is going to help tens of thousands of people, but think about like one-on-one, -on -one. someone sends you an email or someone sends you a Facebook message in your group. They have a very specific question. I think that you're actually doing them a disservice by giving them the information for free because they won't value the information and they are very unlikely to actually take action. If they open their wallet, and even if they spend $1, $1, I bet you that the percentage of actually following through and doing it goes up dramatically, drastically. I, I have the stats to, to prove it and show it, so yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So I, I, I want to circle back a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about Bali, about Indonesia and how things are there now. Is it still a great place to be a digital nomad? Has it, has it come and gone? Are the borders open? What, what's the story? So borders are not open yet. Uh, there are some ways to, to come in. It's um, an expensive visa process, uh, $500, $600, I think, a few days of quarantine, but it's possible. It's not as easy as before, just show up at the border and get the visa on arrival, but it, it is possible if you really want to. And I do think that Bali is one of the best 
communities for expats or digital nomads, uh, whether you're single or in relationship or family. Uh, it's amazing. You have everything of, uh, of anything. And it's, it's really, it's really nice. I, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm building a villa there. I'm building my house and, uh, and home. So. <laughs> uh, don't, don't expect me to, to say anything uh, negative, but it's uh, Bali is, is a unique spot. The, the culture, the Balinese culture, the people are nice. The cost of living is incredible. The weather is good all year. And there is a large community. And the good thing is that whether you're just starting your journey in, uh, as an expert or as a digital nomad, or you're already immersed in this for a few years, it's a great spot. Uh, you'll find the people to collaborate, to help you. This is what I love about the digital nomad mm-hmm. community. People love to share not their knowledge. They're not keeping it for yourself. Like yourself, like many other people in your community, uh, we are out to help each other. And this is... Um, it's great. It, there are a lot of other spots that I love around the world, you know, Thailand, uh, Copenhagen, Chiang Mai, the Canary Islands is great. Medellin, Colombia, I absolutely love. Uh, one of my very, very favorite spots. So as a nomad, I, I can't say that like one spot is the best, but Bali is very, very unique uh, in what it is. And you can make out of it whatever you want. You can enjoy the, the nightlife, party out every night, or you can just uh, stay in your villa, chill, go to the rice fields and enjoy the, the landscapes. But yeah, I, I don't see Bali uh, declining in terms of tourism. I actually see a spike coming around the corner as families mm-hmm. from all over the world say like, why pay $7,000 for an apartment in, in San Francisco where I can live in a freaking massive mansion in, in Bali by the beach with a nice place. Yeah, exactly. With your own pool and domestic help and fresh fruit and vegetable and <laughs> tropical. <laughs> because, okay, so I've been to Indonesia, but I've never been to Bali. So I'm super curious because I like expat communities. I like these types of communities. I love having local friends. And like in Panama, I have tons of local friends and I speak Spanish and I go out with my buddies and everything like that. But I like communities where there are people from all over the world. I'm not, le- I'm not looking for a community which is like only Americans or only Canadians. Actually, that's the opposite of what I like. But when I lived in Abu Dhabi, I was there for eight years. Everybody I knew was from a different country. I had lots of friends from South Africa. I had Kenyan friends. I had Ugandan friends from all over Asia, Korea, Japan, China. I mean, every corner of the earth, we had people in our group, in our, in our circle of friends. And we'd come over for dinner and do potluck and everyone bring food from their own countries and you'd hear all these different languages. I like that type of thing. Is Bali a good place for getting people like a melting pot from all over the world or is it just certain expats who go there? It is quite diverse. Of course, in the same proportion of the, the country in the world, you know, population-wise, uh, but it's not as diverse as other places like maybe Thailand because Bali is slightly more expensive for some of the tourists. And yeah, I think you, you need like a minimal income to, to really live there for, for a long time. So I don't, there's a lot of European, a lot of Americans, Russian, Australians, of course, uh, as this is their like uh, top uh, travel destination. So you'll find a lot of, um, lots of people from these countries, but not many from South America or from Africa. And that's one thing that I'm not happy about and I really wouldn't want to change in, in Indonesia that the locals doesn't feel equal or as worthy as the experts. And you know, I have a good okay. local friend and she literally told me, I'm using you for social climbing. Versus if you go to Medellin, Colombia, 
you sit at the bar, you, you just connect and mingle with the locals. You get to really be immersed in the, in the culture. And that's what I love about it. In, in Indonesia, they're a little bit more reserved. They feel like they, they serve you. And I, I cannot say that I'm too excited about this. I, I often tell them like, you know, we're friends. We're like, we just, it's not Mr. Dean or Sarah, or it's like Dean, I'm like, I don't know. You understand what I mean? <laughs> I exactly understand what you mean. And it was the, the same but the opposite in Abu Dhabi. In Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai, I mean, the way it works there is the locals are very, very high. And then there's like different classes of expats that go down. Now, I had lots of local friends and a friend of ours, like she was the daughter of the ambassador to the UAE, to Morocco. And, you know, she would watch my kid because our kids were the similar age. So I had like local Emirati friends, but I have seen what you're talking about. I've seen it more in places like the Philippines and things like that, where they look up to a lot of the expats and they put themselves below. And I think this is not nice also. I mean, it's not something that I want, but as you mentioned with Colombia, and I, I believe I've been to Colombia, but I haven't been an expat in Colombia, but I have seen the same thing in Panama where you're on even footing. I mean, when I go out a group and my friends married a Panamanian or I, I go out shooting pool with my buddy who's Panamanian, there's no difference in social standing because I'm an expat or anything like that. Actually, we're just friends and we're equal and any kind of difference is based on character and like in any country in the world, not because of the color of your skin or your race or your sex or anything like that. It's really who you are as a human being, which is going to determine how other people see you. And I like that way, way more. Last one for that. I, I truly appreciate what you just said. And it's, it's true. Being a digital nomad means that I wear my uh, T-shirt and shorts and flip-flops almost everywhere I go now. And you walk into a bar and a coffee shop and you cannot tell who's like super successful. You know, you don't have the expensive watches or the nice car parked outside. Everyone is using their bicycle and walk, walk by foot. So you no longer have these status symbols and everybody's equal and it's beautiful. Like you go into a co-working space, you might have seven, eight, even eight figure. You might go into a coffee shop and, and you like, or a co-working space and you have these multi-million dollars businesses owners, but you won't be able to tell. You just wear the same black t-shirt the word the day before and the same flip-flops and and that's the beautiful everyone same level what, what do you think because it's an interesting question you asked me uh what places around the world do you find like a very diverse uh, community okay so i remember when i lived in melbourne i found melbourne to be very very diverse i was there from 2006 to 2009 and at that time i was big into the couch surfing movement i was an ambassador on couch surfing and i hosted I don't know, 100, 150 different people on my house. So there was always meetups. We were the first ones to start up meetup groups where they weren't called meetup groups. They were couch surfing events uh, in the city. That was amazing for me because there was Indians and Sri Lankans. And then we had Filipinos and Canadian and Americans. And we had South Africans and Singaporeans. And then another 50%, which were Australian. So it was kind of like half expats from all over the world, and then half that were locals, and everybody had a, a desire to, to travel and meet one another. There was lots of language exchange, a lot of food and culture. A lot of the people had come to Australia for education. 
So a lot of them were going to university there. So like we had like Nepalese friends who got a visa because they wanted to study um, in Australia and then learning about Nepal. And like, I mean, that was just cool. Like that was just so amazing. So I remember Australia being a fantastic place for that. The UAE, which I certainly mentioned before, Singapore, where I lived, was good, but on a much more expensive scale. I mean, Singapore was very, very, very pricey when I was there. I was there for a year. I hear that a lot of the big movements are going into Eastern Europe these days. Estonia, Georgia, Montenegro, Hungary, these types of places, Central and Eastern Europe and the Balkans. I think that a lot of this stuff is going over that way. So we want to plan a trip to go explore and see what the communities are like there. Yeah, there are beautiful communities forming now in, in Eastern Europe. And I think those uh, countries, which are not uh, third world countries, but somewhere in between, uh, the, the big beneficiaries of COVID-19 situation and the remote work movement, because people will take their uh, US dollars or any other strong currency and start to, to move into those little more cheaper countries to live in. And you, you will see that a lot of countries come up now with uh, visas for, for digital nomads and encourage them and come and stay there and spend their, their money there. So um, it, it's, it's weird because there's a shift in power. Uh, it's no longer the US or the UK that has, uh, are now lucrative for, for remote work. It's the opposite. If I can work from anywhere, I actually don't want to stay here. I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to to Brazil. It will be very interesting to see what it will do to economies uh, in the next uh, decade. And regarding Couchsurfing, I just didn't want to forget Couchsurfing. Absolutely. I still use it to the day. Um, it's a great way to connect with uh, like-minded people. World Traveler is very open-minded. Uh, love it. Yeah. I mean, I had so much fun on that app. I didn't use it as much as I should have for traveling, although we did use it several times. I remember we used it in Hawaii and a few other places. But when I lived in Australia, it was like a way for me to travel without leaving because I still had these people coming and sharing their experiences and everything with. That was really, really, really cool. That was so much fun. And I was on that in 2006. I, I was on probably maybe even earlier. I think I was in, on that when I lived in New Zealand in 2005. God, that's getting on. That's, that's an old website. I didn't even know it was still up and running. I should get the person who ever created Couchsurfing on this podcast. That would be amazing. It would be interesting for you to talk to him because he they recently changed it to a membership, a paid membership model. So it changed a little bit the experience and the people on the, net, the network, but it's still a great community. Amazing. I'll look that up. And I'll put links to that in the show notes, everyone at expatmoneyshow.com. So with Indonesia... Are you said you're building a villa there. Are you able to get a residency there? Are you doing a, a tourist visa and coming and going? How do you have your life set up in Indonesia, in Bali? In Bali, you can get a visa. It's called Kitas. So it's a kind of an investor or a working visa. You don't really need to buy any property for this. You just basically set up a business and then you get a visa for two years that allow you to, to stay and perform a certain type of uh, works uh, locally, but if you work online, that's, uh, that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, I believe the tax regime there is also quite comfortable for foreigners. I I'm not sure what the legal, <laughs> the losses and what the accountants and lawyers says, but 
all the lawyers and accountants said like, yeah, you don't need to declare uh, your income abroad, only if it comes into Indonesia, if you transfer it into bank accounts. But there is a rumor that circles for two years now that Indonesia will move into a territorial tax system. So you really legally won't, be, won't need to pay uh, taxes on any income generated abroad, very much like Panama, for example. And so, yeah, I just uh, form a company, you get your visa, you can come in and out, go in and out as, as often as you want for two years and then just renew it every year for a um, few hundreds of dollars. It's not an expensive pro- process, uh, expensive, you know, it, relative, but I think it will cost someone three to $4,000 to to do this. Uh, but if you look at the cost, if you really want to stay there on a tourist visa and do the visa runs, it will cost you the same uh, across the years. Yeah, because there's not going to be any land borders <laughs> where you can drive across like no, in some no, of the other places like in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and Bali's interesting too, because we haven't really spoke about it on this show so much. And I'll tell you why. The majority of my listeners are Americans and Canadians. And I'm very happy to have people listening to me on literally every country on planet Earth. But realistically, I can see by the analytics, that the most of the people are Americans. And I think that Bali is about the other side of the world. So it's not a place that comes up in the conversations all that much. Now, when I lived in Australia, Bali was super common. I think people were going to Bali on vacation every single month. I mean, that was very, very, very normal. Is Bali a popular place for Israelis? Is it on your kind of circuit as an Israeli that Everybody knows that they need to stop and see Bali. I'm, I'm smiling, a big smile here. <laughs> Israelis are not even allowed into Bali at this point. Oh, um, wow, really? Is, okay. Is, yeah. Indonesia is a Muslim country, part of the Arab boycott, something. Uh, we, we actually allowed... Well, I know visa- Indonesia is, but I mean, Bali is not Muslim. Bali is... Bali is exactly, Bali, but since it? it's the same visa system, um, it is possible, but it's really tedious and expensive expensive process so if you want to go there as a tourist for a month uh, you need to plan six months in advance and probably spend thousand five hundred dollars just for the visa uh, with my other passport it's much easier just visa on arrival so it's not it, it's obviously a very uh, desired destination for israelis but right now it's off the radar you will find us in thailand and philippines uh, instead um bali bali is amazing being uh, being to 100 countries i cannot get as excited about landscapes anymore um and just now in panama travel to bocas del toro i'm now in playa venal beautiful places caribbean vibe just is good in my opinion for me uh travel is about people first place the second right um it's the people the either the locals that i meet in in indonesia or the the expat community and yes you won't find as many uh americans and Canadians, although you will find plenty of them. But if your work is tied to the time zone of the States, it's it's a nightmare, literally a nightmare because you need to be awake all night to, to be aligned with the hours. Yeah, I will um, definitely agree with this. When I was building my business online in the UAE for eight years, I mean, I was waking up at two, three o'clock in the afternoon and going to bed at four or 5 a.m., which was fine when I was single or when I was newly married. But when I had my first child and my kid is up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and I'm not going bed to bed until like 3, 4 a.m. so that I can be on the same time as Eastern Standard Time, that was terrible. People always ask me, like, why did you leave the Middle East? That is one of the main reasons 
I work mostly with Americans and Canadians doing coaching and consulting and running these types of businesses. Yeah, being on Eastern Standard, being in Panama works a lot better for me uh, yes, from yeah, that yeah. regard. For half the year, Indonesia is exactly 12 hours ahead of East Coast, North America. So if work starts 9 a.m., it's 9 p.m. for you in Bali. Uh, it's not easy, but it is rewarding because I don't find many other places on this planet that I rather live and, and base my life off. I, I will continue to travel forever and ever. There is so much more to see and experience, but uh, as a place to live in a community, Bali is, uh, is unique. Uh, but do you have like a group of people in Bali who are kind of up all night long and like there must be like a little subculture <laughs> of people who, yeah, yeah. you know, work on Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, there, there are the night halls. You, all the co-work space open 24-7 for this reason. Oh, wow. You will go to co-work <laughs> space at 2, 3 a.m. You will find me there recording a podcast or talking to someone. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. it, it's also nice uh, that... You don't, you don't work alone. Uh, just get some uh, food and drinks beforehand. Well, this circles also back to what we were saying before. I mean, it, it really is where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, if you can be flexible, if you can be a little bit creative, you can make it all work. It's based on you. I mean, who is listening today? All the options are out there. All the technology is out there. The people, the support, the network, it's all out there. You just have to go for it. I mean, try, do it. You'll never hear me saying that digital nomad lifestyle is the answer to everything in life, right? Uh, in a hyper, uh, hyper speed. I sacrifice maybe progress in my career, uh, title-wise, and maybe the, the companies I work with because I uh, didn't spend all this time in the office. But... I made the choices that were the best and right for me. But there is some sacrifice. If you travel to Bali, you're far from your family, right? Not in, if you're not in your home country, you won't get to celebrate holidays with your friend or birthday with your friend. So there's always sacrifice. Uh, on the other end, I'm, I do what really brings happiness to, to my life. And the beauty of my lifestyle is not the opportunity I have to see the world and be anywhere I want. It's the option to stop and get off this train whenever I want. I went to Bali. I thought it would be like two, three weeks trip. And you know what? I'm building a villa now because I find it's an amazing community, a beautiful place to live. I just parked myself. I went to many other countries. I went to Medellin. I didn't even plan. I was acting in Panama. It was super rainy. Took the first flight out. Spent eight months in, <laughs> in, in Medellin. <laughs> you know what? I, you wow. open, you, I opened Tinder. I swiped right on a girl that I, I liked. It took a split of a second. And this split of a second change my life for the next year. All of a sudden you're in a relationship, you're in love, you're having fun, you're able together. So it, I do, it gives me the option to, to really choose the best uh, every time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's interesting because a lot of times people will think that going overseas, being a digital nomad, running an online business, this is risky. Actually for me, having a nine to five business and going to the office is super risky. That is way more risky because really what you're doing is you're getting your money and your paycheck from one source. And if that source stops, you're up shit's creek. Now, if you have an online business, actually you're getting your money from a hundred clients, from a thousand clients. If one stops, that's okay because you have the other 999 to pick up. 
And look at exactly what just happened with COVID. Like, I mean, so many people were furloughed from their jobs. So many people were sent home. And it's like, that was your, that was your one chance to make money, to provide for your family, to get food on the table. And that's disappeared. So I actually think that the lifetime style that we live is actually more resilient. You're more resilient as a person. You're more resilient with your business and your options for generating income. Um, I think it's less risky. What do you think? I absolutely agree with this. And I, for a long time, had still maintained my online, my remote work, right? I was digital nomad, but I had one contract. And with time, I learned even the hard way that having one contract is not enough. So I started to have like side gig and do some consultation, like, you know, two hours uh, a week and doing a private consultation one-on-one in the digital nomad space. And now I'm building uh, my paid membership uh, website with my two communities for nomads. So building this safety nets and multiple sources of income investments, uh, it can be I invest in the stock market, I invest in properties. I, my portfolio is super diverse and that, contribute to my confidence and my safety. Like I, I'm not worried anymore. If I get a phone call and say, hey, you know, we're shutting down the company or we decided to, to end the contract with you. It's like, okay, I mean, that's what it is. A lot of things are not in our control, but I have this backup. So I think it's right always to have uh, at least two, three streams of income and it doesn't have to be work, but passive income as well. Like invest every dollar you have pretty much, plus minus, have some uh, uh, money saved for a rainy day. Well, I'm big on, on investment and pursuing financial uh, independence. So yeah, you every, every listener here, I think should take action towards uh, building. Okay, this. so let's say that someone is listening today to this conversation and they say, Dean, you are 100% right. I agree with you. I think that this is very, very important, but they don't know the steps. They don't know the process. They don't know how to go about this. If someone is listening to this and they want to make a change in their life, like what would you tell them? Like what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to get into this for the very, very first time? You know, the first advice I really give people who want to turn digital nomad and have online income is to, to turn into minimalists first. <laughs> but I, I won't, I won't uh, dig into this. We, we mentioned before, do a reverse engineering of your profession. See what people in your position with your set of skills are doing online. Go to Upwork, go to Fiverr.com, uh, go on Google, search whatever job you do, look it up with the words online or remote and see what other people offer in this field. Replicate it. Do the same. Put your own twist. You're not competing with anyone. Uh, we mentioned before, you don't need to have the next TikTok with 2 billion users. You need, if you have 10 paying clients, if you have 100 paying clients, you are good to go. Out of 8 billion people on this planet, you need to get 100 clients. That <laughs> should be. And, it's just, and we, ho- we all have hobbies. We all have uh, jobs. We all have skills. You know, we, we, we are all equal people. We're capable of anything. It's just a matter of how much we really want it and passionate about something. But stay within your passions and what you're good at. Don't try to reinvent yourself. Don't pay $3,000 for uh, some course uh, on Amazon because you heard you can make a lot of money on Amazon. If you're not extremely passionate about it, it won't work. It won't work, but it also won't work long time. I also, if you do something you don't love, I can tell you being on, a, on the beach in Bali or having parties in Colombia while doing something you don't like, it, it's not better than being whether, wherever you live right now and doing something you love. 
uh, we spend so much time uh, at work, uh, we must do something we, we connect with. So reverse engineer, read what other people, go online communities like the Expert Money Show, um, my community, digitalnomads.world, it's the new community that I'm, I'm building for nomads around the world. That's the idea, exchange information, help each other to, to develop in, in their field. Go on LinkedIn, see what people in your field are, are doing. Maybe you know, how you can uh, twist your profession in a way that, you know, we talked about plumbing earlier, let's stick to this. You don't have to be hands-on plumber. You can teach people how to be plumbers. I mean, you can create videos. You can give people advice remotely. Hey, I have this problem. Take a photo. Send me the photo. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you the list of what to buy, where to do it, how to do it. And you know what? If you can fix it, I will connect you with someone in your area to come to your place and, and fix your, your problem. And you'll take the cut. So anything and everything is possible. Ask your clients. Would you want to work remote with me? Would it be easier for you if we don't need to meet? Offer discount because if you don't need office space, if you don't need to um, um, drive anywhere, it saves a lot of money. And do it gradually, right? Um, it doesn't have to change everything overnight. Talk to one client, two clients, see if they're comfortable with it. And oftentimes I hear like, oh, I'm an accountant. I must go to the IRS office to hand over some documents so I cannot travel the world. Okay. Do everything you can and, and outsource this one task of going. Okay, so you might earn $500 less a month because you pay someone to do it for you, but outsource this one task that you cannot um, perform if you're abroad, right? Just think a little bit out, outside the, the box. And I believe that today, 70% of the jobs, 70% of, of the work is already done in front of the computer, almost no matter what mm -hmm. you do. Uh, so just find out how you transform this extra 30% to either outsource or uh, do it in a, um, in a remote manner. Yeah, and then what you've just said also talks about another opportunity. You can also build a business for helping accountants or lawyers or professionals do the piece that they can't do because they're traveling. You know, I mean, like there's so many opportunities, like who knows that could be your own business. And then you could have local staff and you could go and travel and you manage the staff who does that type of thing, who comes and picks up parcels and, you know, sensitive material. And it can't be done by this organization. It has to be done by a specialist. I don't know. I'm making this up, but there's so much opportunities. It's that creativity. And I'm going to add one other thing to what you just said. So I was working like crazy over the last couple of years. I had partnered with an organization and I was going full tilt building this business that I was working 14 hours, 16 hours a day, six and a half days a week. Then I took some time off to go to Costa Rica with my family. I had left this job. I had finished the contract and I took two, three weeks and I did almost no work. I, I barely even opened my computer for three weeks. I had more insights about my business in three weeks from taking a break than I did for two years of staring in front of the computer and working around the clock. So taking a break and allowing yourself the ability to reflect on your life and your skills and your business and what you wanna do can often be so, so, so beneficial. And it wasn't until I started traveling again that I gave myself that time and that opportunity to have that pause and that reset and, and think and, and brainstorm and be creative again. 
And now it's like, oh, I have a thousand and one ideas on how I can help people in my business and how I can serve others and inspire people in this space, which I'm super, super passionate about. So yeah, give yourself a break. Don't expect that you're going to know the answer like the very first minute. It takes time sometimes to think it all through. Yeah, taking away uh, time away from, from your job or what you do, or your daily routine. And everything I know, everything I achieved, I'm so proud to say that I didn't invent anything, that I'm not a pet finder, that I'm not a unique uh, uh, star or something. I am the result of all the people I met uh, around the world. You, know, you sit in a co-working space. At the beginning, I was just I, I was doing my project management job. And then you hear someone, oh, I started a community and it's great and you should do it. You know, yeah, I started a community and now it's the fourth largest community in the world for digital nomads. Like I didn't even know or expect it to become this. And someone asked me, hey, do you want to give talks? Like, yes, I'll give talks. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try. I said, yes. What, what, what's the worst? Worst case, I won't give talks anymore. And I've been giving uh, talks all over the world for five, six years now. So I opened my, my mind and ears and eyes to other ideas and I soak it in and I tried. I'm not afraid to try. And it's worked. Many things failed. Many things I, I, I didn't like to do and I'm not doing anymore, but it, um, I'm really the result of all the people around me. And I think this is the great thing about uh, your show, about the community you're building, about other communities out there. Uh, people are out to, to help each other. And again, you don't need to be unique. Don't let uh, the competition to put you down. I, I can't stand it with people when people tell me, oh, I cannot open another e-com shop because it's so saturated. What are you talking about? E-commerce is just the beginning. It's like the, 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 the <laughs> it's baby steps. 90% of the world still doesn't shop online, right? Like um, we haven't started yet. So even if you, uh, people will say, yeah, I'm an accountant and I'm going to do it online. But I, I saw that I'm already accountant doing it. Yeah, because it works. That's why they do it. So you should do it too. Well, and then add to that, I mean, there's the personality. So although there is another accountant who specializes exactly in your field and does the exact same work as you, they're not you. Like, I mean, I'm very different in my space. I mean, there's lots of people in the offshore space. I mean, I'm sure the people who listen to me also listen to other people who watch YouTube videos. However, okay, I'm Canadian. I'm not American. I'm married. I'm not a swinging bachelor. I have two children. Um, I'm a high school dropout. I'm a celiac. I'm a cigar smoking, red wine drinking. I mean, I have my own personality traits. So if someone listens to my work, they're going to uh, relate to me. Maybe it's a family. Maybe they had a problem in college or didn't get along in school. Maybe they have something quirky about their life that they can relate to me. And that's why they're going to follow the work that I do. I could have looked at it and said, well, there's already people in this space. So therefore I'm not going to move into it, but I mean, that's not going to help anybody. I mean, so think about what are the things that make you unique in your life? And you're going to have people that will relate to you as a human being. Use that as a strength when trying to build your business or build your remote work or digital nomad type of offering that you're going to put out there in the world. Competition is basically someone else doing the market research for you and telling you, yes, there is a demand. That's why I'm doing it. And yeah, don't, don't be afraid to, to follow steps. Uh, I, I wanted to add one more point. Um, coming from Israel, a lot of people tell me, like, how do you have the courage to, 
to, temp, to travel the world, to move to Bali or courage to, to do the, the, make the choices I made. And I tell them, how do you have the courage to stand in traffic every day for an hour or two, <laughs> struggle with the cost of living, pay mortgage for 20, 25 years, deal with the political situation, the, the conflict in the region. How do you have the courage to do this when you can literally take flight and in eight hours to completely change your life and, and live different lifestyle? Uh, so be, the courage to be in Plava now, I have the, the beach 100 feet from, from me, you know, drink coconuts, have massages, enjoying life, living cheaply and do whatever I want. Like, do you need courage for this? Like, <laughs> it sounds so easy. Like, um, I, didn't, I didn't have the courage to deal with the cost of living and paying rent or mortgage on my life. Please, like, if you listen to this, don't be afraid to, to, to take the first step. Fail a million times, uh, but fail fast. Don't wait to fail when, when you're 60 or, or 70. And if you have any dream, if you want to pursue anything, the best time to do it, the absolutely best time to do it is today, is right now. So turn off this podcast, don't listen anymore, and go pursue your dreams. Um, you know, like take, take, taking action is uh, so much more than taking in inspiration, in my, in my opinion. I love I'm trying it. to help with both. Brilliant. Dean, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time, sir. I really, really enjoyed today. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? Look me up on Instagram. Where is Dean? I'm pretty easy to, to find. Happy to help anyone. Uh, contact me, message me, follow me. Uh, I have also deancuchel.com. It's just a landing page, but you'll find all my other social medias and way to contact me. I can help you with any idea around digital nomad, remote work. Uh, I can guide you and consult you on this. Uh, if you want to grab a beer anywhere around this planet, I'm super happy to even travel distances to, to meet with people. So that's uh, always good. As I said, I'm, I travel for people. And check out digitalnomads.world. Is a new, it's a new uh, worldwide community I'm building for nomads. So welcome to join us. Check it out. And um, yeah, it will be great to to chit chat with your listeners and also i'm a member of expert money show community i'm active i like to read i like to answer so if you have any questions for me there uh, tag me it's uh, at nimrod dean kuchel i'm super happy to to share as much as i as possible and michael thank you very much for having me on your show thank you for you the work you do for the community and for people who really pursue their uh, freedom you're doing an amazing job thank you thank you so much thank you so much okay dean we'll talk to you soon take Thanks care a lot. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. 
From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.